to Lakeland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Are you guys ready for good grief? Yeah, how about you at home? You're like, are, are we cheering about being in grief? Uh, I don't know. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Last week we had some time to journal, and I want to encourage you to grab that journal once again. If you don't have it, just go run into the other room. Go grab it. I'm going to review for a second, so go grab your journal. Here, here's why journaling can be really helpful. You ever have like thoughts where you just like you think for a, a moment and um, you're trying to process an idea, but you're, you don't go too far because you get distracted, like your mind wanders, that type of thing. Here's why where journaling can be really helpful, especially as you're like talking with the Lord in journaling. It helps your mind to th- slow down and process, but to stick with the thought without being uh, distracted. And so that's why it can be so helpful. And we're going to do some journaling today as well. And uh, we're going to be continuing in the series, Good Grief, week two. We're talking about good because is there a good or right way to handle our grief? And I really think that there are some good insights that we can glean from those uh, in scripture who have dealt with grief um, because uh, so many people have have grieved. In fact, we hopped into the series because I just made the argument and the statement that I think all of us are grieving. All of us are grieving something because we've all lost something. During this season, we've all lost, whether it's uh, some have lost loved ones or friends due to this virus. Others have lost jobs or income. Some have lost vacations and some have lost commutes and some have lost uh, quiet time and others have lost social time and uh, some have lost maybe your final semester of school or graduation or a significant moment uh, to be able to see your child born or uh, whatever it might be, a birthday or a special occasion, but we've lost things. And so with loss, um, we've got to process grief. In fact, what's been interesting is this week, I've talked with a handful of people. I know you have as well, Lise, and some of you others have probably talked with some people. And, and uh, one of the things that's been so good is we're hearing a lot of feedback of people going, man, I never even realized I was kind of going through grief. Like, I just, it didn't, rem- you know, just add up in my head that this is the feeling. Like, I was feeling stuff, but I didn't realize it was grief. And so, hopefully for you, as you've processed, yeah, I've had loss. Perhaps there's a level of grief that you need to deal with as well. Um, even as I think about Mother's Day, you know, all you moms out there, we love you. Give it up for the moms. Come on, those in the room, we're giving it up for you. We love you moms, uh, but I imagine there's a lot of moms who are like, this is not the Mother's Day I dreamt. Uh, because some of you, you want to be with your kids and your kids are unable to come on over. Or you're not able to be together and that's just incredibly difficult. And so maybe you're grieving that as well. Um, but the problem is we've all lost something and many of us actually it's possible that you refuse to grieve. Like, you don't want to grieve, but there's a problem if you don't grieve. In fact, there's, if you don't deal with your grief, you might end up doing some other things. I, I was reading this article this week, six signs of incomplete grief. Like, you didn't finish grieving. Let me just go through them real quickly. One, you're irritable or you're angry. Now, I know some of you are like, I'm always irritable and angry. <laughs> Maybe you're just grieving and you're stuck. Uh, two, uh, continued obsession over the loss. Like, if you can't let off of your mind the one thing that you're just like... I, this thing that I've lost, maybe you're still stuck in that grief over that. Fixated on fear of future loss, meaning you you recognize you had loss, but now 
fear has captured you because you're just afraid of future loss that's similar to what you went through. Fourth, behavior overreaction. This could be like withdrawing emotionally from other people um, or uh, avoiding a sense of closeness with other people. You become closed off. Fifth, addictive behaviors. This could be drugs, alcohol, workaholism, um, or other high-risk behaviors. Sixth, uh, apathy, numbness, uh, or low grade depression. This is just the sense of like, I, they're kind of just checked out in life. If you find yourself in some of those categories, you might be stuck actually in grief and you might need to go through the process of grief. Up till about 40 years ago, people probably didn't realize um, even the processes or stages that people went through in grief. Um, but in more recent years, they've become more common kind of conversation to be able to talk through the stages we go through. And so last week I presented the typical kind of five stages that a lot of people will process in grief. And this is what they are. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And denial is, is this idea of like just kind of denying the thing that I'm facing can't really be happening to me. Anger is I'm frustrated with the thing that I'm facing. Bargaining is, is there a way out of this thing that I'm facing? Uh, depression is I'm sad about this thing that I'm facing. And acceptance is I'm accepting this thing that I'm facing. It is real and I am or I have mourned its loss. And now when we think about these five phases or stages, sometimes we often just want to do things like this. And like our American culture, don't we totally want to do this? Like, hey, help me go through this and go through it as quickly as I possibly can, right? Do you, do you think this way? Like, how, how fast can I go through this? But that's not how this works, and we're actually going to be talking more about that next week. Uh, you might start here. You might skip down to here. You might hop all over here and, and, and spend a, a while in this. And, and the point is, there's no, like, shelf life. There's no timeline. There's no direct path. You might hop all over. Uh, but these are some of the stages that a lot of us will process through when we're going through grief. And last week we covered the first two, which um, are denial and anger. And this is what we discovered is that in denial, there's a, a biblical step and it's to be honest with myself. And anger, there's a biblical step and that is to be honest with God. And so we started to process these things of this is what I'm actually hurting about, or this is my loss. And God, this is how I'm frustrated with what I'm facing right now. And in each one of these steps, we're asking the question, where's God in it and what should we be doing? In it, And so let's just dive into this, and we're going to be talking now about the next two stages, which is bargaining, okay? Bargaining is the next one along the way, and it's this, when you face a loss that you can't imagine bearing, and you'll do anything to negotiate another way. But bargaining isn't just a matter of life and death. Uh, bargaining can happen with any level of crisis or loss. Even like in a, let's say you're breaking up with someone. Remember breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend back in the day? And, you, and you'd say this, you ever throw this one out there? You're like, hey, let's still be friends. That's bargaining. That's what you're doing. You're still bargaining in the midst of this crisis and in this loss. There's actually two forms of bargaining that I've discovered. The first is bargaining in crisis. And the second is bargaining after crisis. Bargaining in crisis looks like this. It's, it's calling out to God, God, please. Maybe you got a child that's sick and you just can't bear to watch them go through the pain that they're in the middle of. And you go, God, I would do anything to trade spots with my child. I would do anything for you to heal my child. That's the God please in the midst of the crisis, that type of bargain. And then there's bargaining even after the crisis. Like you recognize there's nothing that you can do and yet you still find yourself trying to make an exchange or a trade and it's usually associated with these type of statements, if only. 
If only we would have called the doctor a little bit earlier. If only I hadn't sent that text or made that phone call. If only I hadn't clicked on that link. If only I had done this or that. If only if I would have come on over. If only I would have known. And really, it's this conversation with God where you're just kind of trying to bargain uh, with him. and make a, You're wishing that you could make a trade. And uh, the person I want to look at in scripture who actually modeled this, bargaining, is actually Jesus. That's right, Jesus bargains. It's really fascinating. It's found in Mark chapter 14, verse 33, and this is Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the most horrific day of his life, which is going to be spent on the cross. And as he preps for this moment, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after, right after uh, the, the breaking of the bread and taking of the cup, the Last Supper, where he actually speaks new meaning into these elements and, and it's where we got communion that we just remembered. Right after that, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and there he's in anguish. Check out what happens here in Mark chapter 14. It says this, he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch so now what we can see in jesus in this moment is jesus he's he's overwhelmed sorrow to the point of death like a lot of times we just think of like jesus could hold everything together right he can hold it he can hold it all together and he can hold it together but this helps us understand that he gets our sorrow that he bothered to say this out loud to his disciples i have sorrow to the point of death that's like, I don't know, that means a lot to me. I don't know if that means a lot to you guys, but it means a lot to me to know that my Savior gets my sorrow. And then he goes on in the next verses to say this, going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed, listen to this, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is how that prayer went. Abba, Father, which is Daddy. He's calling out to his Heavenly Father, Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What's he doing? It's actually bargaining. He's saying, God, Father, Heavenly Father, anything's possible. And if we can change the plan, I would like that. He's trying to make a trade in exchange. God, if there's another way, let's do that. Yet not my will, but your will. And if you've ever prayed, God, if there's another way, if there's anything that you can do, please do it. Guess what? You and Jesus have a lot in common. Because Jesus prayed that exact same prayer. Jesus felt the same way that you felt. Is it wrong to bargain with God or to at least say, God, could there be another way? I don't think so because Jesus did it. Is there a biblical step for us to take in this kind of stage? And I would say, here's the biblical step. If Jesus modeled one, it's this. Ask God for help. It's asking God for help. Because this is what Jesus is doing. He spends, in fact, it's, it's in this moment that he's asking God for help. But then, even in the verses that follow, it's not, yes, he says, is there another way? Is there an exchange? Is there a trade? But then in the following verses, it goes on to say, for the next couple hours, you want to know what he's doing? He's asking God for help and strength to be able to face that which is ahead of him. And so, in bargaining, yeah, you're often trying to make an exchange. And while you may not be able to Make an exchange or a trade what you're facing. I would say this, as we embrace the conversation with God, the most simplistic thing that I would encourage you to do is exactly what Jesus did, which is ask God for help. 
I remember uh, years ago when I was actually looking for uh, a senior pastor job. I was looking for the, the opportunity. It was right kind of before I came here to Lakeland. But that whole process was a, a year and a half of kind of searching for the right job, the right opportunity. And I remember during those years, I, I felt like I was ready to go and uh, have a senior pastor role somewhere. And I would apply to jobs and I would see like uh, descriptions of these churches and I would look at them and I would go, I think that one is a lot like me. I think I'd be perfect. And you want to know what? I think I bargained with God more. I don't know if my wife knows this, but I bet I bargained with God more during that season of my life than any other season. When I was constantly going, God, if you would give me that job, I would do, and I I think I was probably selling my kids off to the Lord in those prayers at that point. I was like, I'll do anything. I really want that one. God, please give me, and, and I was just, you know, I'm bargaining. But at the most basic level, you want to know what I was doing? I was saying, God, I need your help. And here's what I think is actually really good during this stage. One of the biggest payoffs of this stage is you start to recognize your reliance upon him. You, You recognize, I can't do anything without you, Lord. You recognize he's God, I'm not. He can handle this, I cannot. If he is able where I am not and he's in control where I don't feel like I am. One of the biggest payoffs is asking for help is, is really a humbling of our hearts. Going, God, I, I just need you. Because we're often so prideful and this stage seems to kind of break down some of that pride in which we just go, God, I need you. I need your help. And so where's God in all this? As we're crying out to, for help, here's where God is. He's listening. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse uh, 12 and 13, this is what it says. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. I will listen. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me. Listen to this with all your heart. You know, even Jesus, when he was crying out to his heavenly father, you want to know what he was doing? He was seeking God with all of his heart. And his heavenly father heard him and his heavenly father was there for him. You know, the human response in this this stage might be bargaining, but the biblical step that we should take here is asking him. When we ask and when we seek him with all of our heart, you will find him. The fourth stage that uh, many of us are going to go through, in fact, I would say this one is unavoidable. Of all the stages in grief, this one is unavoidable. It's a form of depression. And so this is what depression is. It's kind of as our panic begins to subside, the emotional fog begins to clear a little bit. And the loss feels more present and unavoidable. We pull inward as sadness grows. And uh, what happens in this kind of stage is reality sets in, depression soon follows, routine tasks become difficult, almost drudgery. Emotions are exaggerated, apathy, lethargy, sorrow are common feelings associated with kind of this stage. Here's one of the things I I didn't realize, but as I was studying, I, I learned this, is that there's kind of two stages of, or two types of depression often associated with loss. And I never knew this, but it totally makes sense. And I can attest to going through these. I'm sure you would as well. The first is I would describe it, and, and this is no like clinical uh, description. It's just how I would describe it, is reactionary 
depression. And it's where you react in sadness or sorrow toward your loss. For example, if you lose a loved one, you might cry immediately right there on the spot. That's a reaction, and it's an appropriate response and reaction to your loss. The second, though, I would describe it as this. It's private depression. And one uh, article described it this way. It's subtle. It's, in a sense, it's, it's this more private form of depression. It's our quiet preparation to separate and bid farewell to our loss. I, I really love that. When I read that, I'm like, that's it. It's our quiet preparation uh, to separate and bid farewell to our loss. I can't tell you how many times I've actually done this at a funeral where I walk on up to the casket and I place my hand on the casket and in a quiet moment, just between me, I know the person's not there. I know it's just their body, but I bid farewell. What what am I doing? Well, I'm going through the emotional process of sadness and sorrow over my loss and I'm bidding farewell. And this happens in lots of different forms and and, uh, formats in our lives. It it could be the final day uh, where you're graduating from high school or, or college and you're walking off campus for the very last time as you take that last step off of campus and you turn around, you look back over your shoulder and you kind of just personally and privately and with a level of sadness, you bid farewell to that season of your life. It could be when you close the door and lock the door uh, on a house or an apartment where you lived for many years and when you walk away from it for the very last time and you close that door and you just kind of, I know it seems kind of funny to say goodbye to a home, but you do, have you done this before? Have you ever done this where you kind of just bid farewell to that season or that place Or it could be a job that you had and the very last time that you walk out that door and you look back over your shoulder and you bid farewell. That's actually a very important process of grief that some of you perhaps have never done. You've never done this quiet preparation to bid farewell to your loss. In Psalm 69, we see someone express their sadness and their sorrow. It's King David. And I I would describe this psalm as perhaps... (laughs) I know this sounds so ridiculous. It might be the most depressing psalm in all of scripture. It really is like, it's just, Lisa and I were talking about it earlier this week. This is just a sad psalm. It's broken up into actually two halves, uh, two 18 verse chunks. And actually there's a pattern within those, uh, each of those 18 verses. The, the pattern is this, complaining and depression, bargaining, and then pleading with God for, for help. And so let me just read to you uh, uh, some of these verses where King David He expresses his sadness and his sorrow and how overwhelmed he feels. Check it out in Psalm chapter 69, verse 1. David says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I want to pause right there. Right there in that moment. What's he saying? He's saying, I feel like I'm drowning. If you want to know if you might be in the stage, you might feel like you're drowning. And I love that David is expressing it that way. He goes, I just feel like I am about ready to drown. And then he says this, I'm worn out, calling out for help. Some translations actually uh, translate this as, I'm exhausted from crying. Have you ever cried so much that you seem like your tear ducts have dried up? You're like, I think I've cried all my tears. That's kind of where David's at. I'm I'm just crying out for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Save me, oh God. One of the things I love about David is that he is a man's man. (laughs) 
He really is. And yet he fully expresses sorrow, desperation, sadness, feeling overwhelmed in this moment. I would argue that David might be the bravest man who ever lived, at least during that period of time. All right, this is the guy who, as a little shepherd boy, took a sling to a massive match against the nine-foot giant Goliath, and he won. He, he's the guy who took on armies. He slayed armies. He had 30 mighty men who just all had amazing, valiant things. This guy, he was a warrior. He had so much blood on his hand, honestly, that God, even when he looked at him, he said, you're not going to build the temple. You got too much blood on your hands. This guy is a warrior, but not only is he like, if there was a man's man, it's David, but not only is that, he, he's also a singer, a songwriter, a poet, a dancer. He, he's all these things, all in one. And what I love about that is that this warrior who might have been, I'm going to argue, the bravest guy who, who lived in that day and age, and he's the, he's the man, man, God goes, you got so much blood on your hands. He's expressing all of his emotion. I just kind of want to... I want to address guys here for a second. There's so many, and maybe it's not just a guy thing. I think so many people just bury emotions. And maybe you've been told you can't express your emotions. You just shouldn't express your emotions. Keep it all buried in. Do you know how messed up that is? (laughs) You're probably going to be stuck in those top like six things that uh, will keep you stuck in life. You know, the number one health issue in men is alcoholism and drugs. Is it possible that guys are going to those things because they actually haven't dealt with their grief because addiction was one of the main things that uh, is, is a, a sign that you're caught in your grief? Perhaps we've got a whole generation of men who are actually just have never dealt with grief. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> if there's ever something that we could learn from David, it's don't be oh, too tough. Don't be, and this just, it's not just a guy thing. I think it's an everything, everybody thing. Ladies, don't be too tough to express your overwhelmedness, your brokenness, your sorrow, your sadness, your hurts. That's okay. In fact, I would say it's not just okay. I think it's actually necessary. I read a quote this week, and I just think it's so true. God's grace doesn't heal you from grief. So many of us just want to get through grief. We want to get to the other side. We, want to, we don't want to deal with it. God's grace doesn't heal you from grief. It heals you as you grieve. But you have to be willing to express, I am sad. I have lost. This hurts. In fact, we think that this uh, what, what many of us are going through right now, so many of us are grieving a form of loss. Um, we want to continue that conversation. We want to help people who have maybe never dealt with grief and loss through that conversation. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to be starting Grief Share, uh, which is a, a, a group that will be happening online. In fact, if you're interested in further talking about loss or grief and just going, I think I just have some things I want to process with other people in this realm of grief, text Grief Share to 84576. Uh, 84576 Grief Share, one word. Take a screenshot of that really quick so that you can uh, get signed up for that because we would love to have you continue continue processing grief. Grief share so often used to be looked at through the lens of, well, if you've lost someone to death, then you definitely need to do grief share. And I would say, no, if you face loss, period, and you haven't dealt with it, or you want to help, help in dealing with it, uh, hop into that online group. 
The next thing that we see David actually express in Psalm 69 is bargaining. Check this out in verse 6. He says this, Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in, in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. What's he doing? He's saying, guys, don't, God, please don't hold Israel uh, accountable for maybe my bad leadership. Don't, don't disgrace them. Don't shame them. If there's any way that we can make a trade-off, like please just uh, apply my sins to me and not to them. Um, and then he goes right into pleading with the Lord. In verses 13 through 15, notice what he, he says. He goes, I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, oh God, answer me within your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Remember earlier he was describing as like drowning. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. By the end, David, what he's doing is he's looking for God now to help. And if I could give you a biblical step during this stage, it would be this. Receiving God's help. If in bargaining, it's asking for God's help. In depression, it's receiving God's help. It's saying, God, I'm going to wait upon you now, and I'm going to receive what you are going to bring. In fact, this is what David does. Is By the time he makes it to these final verses in this chapter, notice what David says. He's expecting God's help, for God will save Zion and will rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. He's going, I'm expecting that God is going to come, and God is going to help. It's at this stage that often you want to know what's happening. Faith is growing in the waiting. That's what's happening. Faith is growing with a certainty that God is going to provide help. And I'm now going to receive it when it comes. Let me just declare this over you. You want to know what's coming? God's coming. That's what's coming. He is coming and he's bringing something for you in this time of sadness that will be perfect to meet your need. When we ask uh, for God's help and we receive God's help, he provides something that I would say can only be described as it's this peace that surpasses understanding. It's this deep peace within us where we can say it is well with my soul. The worship team is actually going to sing uh, that song, It Is Well. And um, while they sing that song, uh, we're going to pull out our journals and we're going to do a little bit of uh, work with the Lord right now. Um, and so grab your journal, and here's what I would love for you to do, is I'd like you to write on, on two pages, on maybe one page, one side of your journal, write this, God, help me as I process, and this is asking for help. And then second, God, I look to receive from you, and this is what you want to receive from him. Maybe for you, uh, you're really dealing with insecurity, so maybe it's like, God, help me as I process my insecurity, my loss, and what I'm dealing with. And God, I look to receive from you a sense of confidence that you are with me. I'm going to look to receive from you a sense of security or peace that surpasses understanding. And so as you, as you journal, this is just an opportunity for you to kind of talk to the Lord and say, this is what I, I'm going to ask for as I process. This is what I'm asking for help. And this is what I'm looking in faith to receive from you. And the worship team, they're going to sing this song, though, It Is Well. And if you don't know the backstory on this song, it was written by a guy by the name of uh, Horatio Spatford. 
He lived in the late 1800s. He was a lawyer in Chicago, and he also he owned a lot of real estate. And um, during the Chicago fire back in the late 1800s, he and his family basically lost everything. And for a couple of years after that, they were just struggling to kind of make ends meet. And so after a, a couple of really hard years, he decided his family just needed some vacation. So he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship, and he sent them to England for the summer. And uh, with the intentions that he was going to join them about a month later. And uh, as he was getting ready actually to board his ship to go and join them, he got a telegram from his wife with two words on it. It said, saved alone. See, what had happened is that his wife's ship actually collided with another vessel and it sank. And all four of his daughters were drowned along with 220 other people. And uh, he hopped on the next ship there and he went to meet his wife in England. And on his way there, when he, his, his ship was going on the same route that his family's ship had gone on. And as he passed by the place where his daughters all drowned, he penned these words to this famous hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How's it possible for someone to get to that place where they can go, it's well with my soul. And they go through this, this process of, yes, asking God for help and they wait until they receive something that is this peace that surpasses understanding that ministers so deep to our hearts. And so I, I wanna pray for you and then we're just gonna give you some time to write. And during this time, I pray that the Lord just ministers to your heart. Perhaps he's going to even start to inspire. The Holy Spirit's going to inspire you to write words of what you should expect to receive from him. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet every person right now where they're at. That as they call out to you, as they cry out to you with all their hearts, asking for help as they process things that they've lost, I pray that you would meet them in sweet ways as they write things that they so need to receive from you. I pray that your spirit would actually inspire us to write the words that you actually want to impress on our hearts that you want to say, this is coming. I'm bringing this. Expect to receive this because I'm coming to meet you in your time of need. So Lord, meet us now in this sweet moment. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to this mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.